This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 144. Hello, veterinary friends. It's Dr. Julie Capel, and this is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a beautiful, wonderful guest. It is my daughter, Bridget Capel. Hi, Bridget. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming to the podcast. She is going to help me today because I have been threatening for weeks that I was going to do a question and answer podcast, and you all cooperated by submitting some questions. And I thought it would be more interesting if I had someone to ask the questions and then I'll try to answer them and then maybe have a little discussion. I thought doing it alone would be boring. Doing it with Bridget would be much more fun. So that's why Bridget's here. She's going to ask the questions. I'm here to be your Joe Rogan. And (laughs) she's here to keep me on track because if I get off topic (laughs) and I get uh, lost in the details, she'll pull me back into reality. Mm-hmm. She's my detailer. Yeah. So some of these questions uh, are come from the Instagram live that you did uh, recently with Vets on the Rise. So some of them mm-hmm. are from Instagram followers and the like, and um, some are from uh, real people from Instagram stories. So we've got a bunch of we've got a big compilation of different things, but I think they're all really good questions and things that people would want to know about what you do and what kinds of things you help people with. Yeah. I'm excited. I want people to learn about this. I mean, I I know that I teach them some of the things on the podcast, but I want to answer the questions. Right. So, um, okay. So let's get right into it. All right. So what, um, maybe we should start with what life coaching is. I'm already jumping around, but that's okay. That's why I have you here because you'll make it make sense. So what life coaching is and the way I've been taught and I understand it is someone, your coach, who helps you work through the issues that you're, you're having in your life, whatever they are. And basically what that means is life coaches kind of take you from where you are right now and help you move your life in a forward direction. So if you're struggling, if you're stuck in anything, it can be a relationship, it can be your work, it can be your mindset, um, it can be that you're just not feeling as happy as you want to feel. And we kind of show you what your brain's doing to you and then help you and give you tools to help you work through it and out of it. So you get moving in a forward direction. Yeah. Cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think, uh, you know, when people hear the word life coaching, you're like, oh, that's for like, you know, successful CEO type people who like need help. You know, it's it seems right. kind of like either woo woo or kind of like, I don't know, inaccessible. Yeah, kind of airy. When I first learned about it, I was like, what's that? I, I didn't really understand it. Yeah. To me, it sounds like something that, I don't know, only a certain like type of person gets to have, but I don't think, you know, that's what, that's not what it is. It's, yeah. How do you see Everybody needs. Yeah. Well, now that I know more about what it is and, 
you know, having been in therapy, um, cause that's, that's the next question. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Um, I see it as like future focused personal development or, um, yeah, I mean, it really is coaching. It's what, um, having dealt with like all of the things that you needed to deal with in the past, you are looking at, you know, what people can do to be more successful in their future or deal with the things that are happening right now. Right. That are bogging you down the most. Right. And help you kind of work your way out of it. Because a lot of what we do in life coaching is past focused in a way, but the idea is, is to take you from where you are right now. And some of, some of the time we're stuck where we are because of our past. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just the way we were taught to think and no one ever taught us that our thinking was inaccurate or that we, that there was an option to see things differently because, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of were taught your whole life that this is the way it is. And you know, life is this way. And, but, but it really, there's a lot of things in life coaching that can help you deal with the day to day and also get you moving. Like I always wanted, I use this example a lot when I'm talking on the podcast, but I always wanted to write, but my story was from my past is that I was not a good writer. And so that story held me back from writing. Like I just didn't write because Somebody somewhere along the line told me that I wasn't good at it. And so when I started getting coached, they were like, well, why don't you write? You've always wanted to write. And I'm like, well, because I'm not good at it. And then they taught me it was just my story. And so once the life coach can help you see where your thinking is going awry, then you can get some tools to, to get you out of that. So I had to give up that, that thinking that I was doing about my writing and just basically start to write, even if it was terrible and just put it out there. And I've been writing ever since I write a lot. Now I write Mm -hmm. podcasts, I write blogs, I'm writing a book. Like there's all this writing going on. And the thing that got me where there was coaching. Yeah. And so I totally believe in it. I think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And that's why I decided to do it. Mm -hmm. Because I think everybody should do it. Right. Right. Well, I think it's like having someone in your life that will be like honest with you and will push you. You know, you can talk about these things with your friends or your coworkers or your, you know, colleagues, um, but not everyone's going to like push you out of your, you know, comfort zone and really like make you do it. So if you, it's like having someone to hold you accountable and also give you the tools to do it if you're like not sure where to go you know, right. what, to, what are, what's your next step to, you know, work on your goals. Well, and that's why I like that it's called coaching because I was an athlete as a kid and the coaches would push you like to the point of pain, you know, like the coaches would make you run laps and they'd make you, you know, I played volleyball. They'd make you do bumps until your arms were, you know, red and bruised and, and it, life coaching isn't that intense, but it, it's similar in that the coach pushes you and you start to feel uncomfortable, but then you, you try it anyway. That's mm-hmm. kind of what the, the coach is there to help you do. Mm-hmm. And then help you figure out why you feel stuck. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. 
So branching off from that, what kinds of things do people come to you for coaching on and what kinds of things, I mean, you talked about these kind of broad, broadly like career and relationships, but is there anything more specific for what you coach people on? Yeah. Um, I think one of the most common things I hear from my veterinary clients is there's this thing that they call imposter syndrome or self-doubt that they go through very frequently because our profession is so technical and we don't always feel like we have the tools to cope with the things that come in. So a lot of self, self-confidence, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, that's a really big issue. I coach people on conflict resolution if they're in a practice situation and they're having a problem with a coworker. And when I say relationships, it can be with your mother, with your sister, with your, you know, kids that there's some relationship stuff going on. I've coached people on their money. We've actually come up with money plans and I'm not a certified financial coach, but the same principles that go into life coaching go on some level into financial coaching. Um, I've coached them on just being stuck, um, weight loss, overeating. Um, gosh, there's so much. It's, it's really fascinating. And, and a lot of it comes back to just not believing in yourself. And so sometimes it's just that. It's like you don't want to enter a conflict because you're not sure you can handle it. Or Mm -hmm. you don't want to deal with the negative emotion that comes along with it. You know, that's all, all a thing that we coach on. Um, What about like, um, like career change or. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people that, that think they want to get out of this profession because they think that that's going to be the answer. And what I try to teach them is that that's not it. It's, it's a lot of it is the way you're dealing with it and thinking about it. You know, if you go to another career, you're going to also have problems if you don't deal with them where you are. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a big one for sure is career changes, um, schedules. I I just worked with someone this morning on just their time management. We talk a lot about that. Um, There's just so so I I could come in and say, like, I have all these things that I want to get done. I know what they are, but I have no idea how to do it. And we could sit and work on that. Absolutely. Yeah. We would talk about, you know, okay, these are all the things I want to get done and I'm not doing them. So we would start with, okay, why do we think we're not doing them? And, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times the answer is I'm so overwhelmed. Okay. Well, the overwhelm is keeping you from doing things. So then we have to go back and figure out, you know, what the thinking is behind that and why we're putting so much pressure on ourselves and what would it feel like to take one step and get one thing done and kind of break it down into priorities. You know, there's all these exercises that we can do to try to prioritize our time and our projects and then just get moving. You know, when I started writing, it was like, okay, you just got to write. And so I had to be like, okay, today I'm writing. And by midnight, whatever I've written is going out on the internet. And that's my first blog. Mm-hmm. And I, that's how I started. And so it, it's kind of that it's setting goals and making decisions and you know, helping work through all the feelings that come along with all that, all that, that uncomfortable stuff. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Look, can we move on to a, the next question? Whatever you want. You're in charge. Okay. No, I thought that was really good. That was uh, a thorough answer. I, I had like a follow up, but um, just 
activated me. So it'll come back. You can come um, back. Yeah. So how did you, how do you become certified to be a life coach? There's many, many ways. And um, the truth is you do not have to be certified to be a life coach. But when I started looking into it and going to different life coaching programs, I decided that I wanted to be certified. So I really felt confident in what I was doing. And I also had continuing education. So once I became certified, I'm a member of my coaching school and they continually offer coaching, offer programs, things that I continue to do to continue to be trained. Um, So the way I did it was I just, I went on the internet and I started reading about coaching and different schools and programs and listening to podcasts from different coaches. And I found the one that kind of related the most to me and that I thought made the most sense. And then I joined a certification program that was like a year long. So the first six months I was through classes and it was all on Zoom, but I got coached and had a teacher teaching me how to coach and tests and all these things. And then the second six months was going through the program, continuing to go through the program, but challenging your, you to get more clients and how to get clients and, you know, teaching us how to move forward. So it's, I just paid for a course and I went through it and graduated from it with a certification. So it was, pre- mm-hmm. it was easy, but not easy because it was mm-hmm. a year long, uh, you know, thing of work, body of work. Yeah. Can you talk about how, so how, how are you different as a coach and like what um, other qualifications do you have that make you a good veterinary life coach for your profession? Well, I think a lot of my qualifications at this point in my life are experience, experiential. Like I bought a practice, I ran it for years. I've been through all of that turmoil you know, I, I worked, I was a working mother. So I went through all that and you can attest to how good or bad I did that. (laughs) I think looking at you, people would think I did. You're a great mom. Quite well. Look how, look how wonderful you are. Um, and I really have always been a student of leadership and I've always enjoyed the back and forth, the conflict resolution, And I learned a lot that through my leadership training. So I've kind of always been a student of self-help. It's always been kind of my jam. I love that. I read a lot of self-help books. And so when I was getting to the point in my life where I wanted a second career, I wanted something where I could actually help. And I think because I've been through so many things that young veterinarians or middle-aged veterinarians or even veterinarians my age have been through that it puts me in a really unique position to life coach. And so getting all the coaching tools from my life coach school and then applying them to vet med, I think is, is super unique. And, and, uh, and I love it. I mean, I love seeing veterinarians learn how to coach themselves and make progress. And, you know, I've always, I always love doing that, but this is just a different. Yeah. I bet seeing people succeed in something that you know, you've also been so successful at, like to be able to give back in that way is really, really cool. It really is. It's, it's very rewarding. And it's also, you know, just like when I was coaching my own employees, which I did for years before I knew what life coaching was, I was always coaching them. You know, they would say, well, I don't want to be a tech my whole life. And I would encourage them to go back to school or, you know, try to put them in a direction that they want to go. And I, and I, I just enjoy that. I love seeing people succeed. 
And I think that's, uh, that's something that leaders like to do is seeing people actually pass them up. You know, I like to see people get more successful than I am. And that, that's, in, it's interesting and fascinating and fun to me. So yeah. that's what I like about it. That's awesome. Um, so once you're, you're working with someone, how do you meet with your clients? I think this was one that was asked on Instagram, but is it over the phone, Zoom? Do you see people in person? What's it um, like? You can do it any of those ways, but um, most of my coaching is done over Zoom. I like to see people's faces because it helps me read whether they're, if I'm trying to teach them a concept, it helps me decide if they're getting it or not, or if they're getting upset. You know, I like to be able to see faces, but I can also do it over the phone. You know, if, if we're not having good reception, sometimes it's just verbal and um, you can do it in person. I don't do much coaching in person because Zoom is so convenient for everyone you know, and, and people can coach from their work. I can coach from wherever I'm at. And so, um, it's like all over the place, right? Oh yeah. I have, I have clients in Canada, all over the United States. I've podcasted, um, Jessica Moore Jones, who's coming up on a podcast. She's in Australia. So yeah, that's fun. I can coach people from all over the world, which is really interesting and fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a similar experience with teaching voice. Yeah, you have voice students all over the place. It's it's kind of great to be able to do it. It really is. Know, and learning about where different people come from and live and that kind of thing. Yeah, and most people reach out to me through my website or they hear me on the podcast or they just Google search and they find me and they contact me via email or on my website. And we do usually a free coaching to start because I kind of like people to understand what they're getting into before they start paying me. But that's kind of how we start. Um, and then this was like a add on, but do you coach veterinary students? As yeah, well? I love vet students. Yeah, it's really fun. I coach veterinary students um, and I do have a discount in my program for them because I decided that if you're a vet student and you want to hire a life coach, I don't want I want I don't want the price to be prohibitive. And mm-hmm. so I, um, along with your help, came up with a discounted rate for vet students. But yeah, I coach students. I I. I'm in a mentoring program at Michigan State. I coach a lot of those students for free and I do some with my power of 10 group and they're more young veterinarians than students, but, but yeah, I love that students. And I think that's a really important time to have coaching because well, that's I when imagine, you really get beat up. Yeah. Well, and I imagine like if you, if, if I were a vet student and I met you at, at that point in my career, like that's a long-term relationship you know if you if you are a good fit that you would be someone that would be there you know long term as you get out of vet school and look for I don't know get get hired at your first job and you know yeah like I can family like whatever it is yeah Yeah. I can help them negotiate their contracts and you know help them with questions to ask and try to make decisions on where you want to work you know there's so many things and a lot of my clients you know I have programs that I do but a lot of times what'll happen is they'll go through a program with me and then they'll be feeling pretty on top of it. And they'll be like, they think they got it mastered, but then they'll come back when an issue comes up. They'll be like, oh, can we meet for an hour? I just need coaching on this issue. And right. you know, so it's not a, it doesn't have to be an every week thing. Mm-hmm. It can ju- just be a here and there. You know, I just need a little bit of coaching on this subject or that, or, 
That's kind of how therapy is. There's, it's similar in that way. Like you'll go, you know, uh, consecutively for a while. And then once you like, you know, are pretty evened out. Yeah. You can, you'll just check in like, oh, I really like, I'm going through something. Can I, can we meet? Right. Um, Yeah. And I kind of like that kind of coaching because I feel like I've known these people a long time. You know, if I've coached somebody for three or four or five years and they, and they come back, I'm like, oh, it's good to see you. What's going on? I get to catch up and then I get to help them, you know, push ahead again. Right. And it's fun to see their progress. I've had veterinarians that I've coached that end up buying practices and now they're having the struggles of ownership that they didn't have before. And yeah, yeah that, that's fun to me. And you've been through that. So, oh, yeah, I know all those headaches <laughs> for know. sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's so <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, Okay. So kind of branching off of that, what is your number one piece of advice for newly graduated veterinarians? Hmm. Um, this is a hard one because I have so many pieces of advice, but I think the main one is don't feel like you can't ask questions mm-hmm. or get help. So when I was a new vet, I kind of thought that I shouldn't ask the other doctors about cases because they would think I was dumb or, you know, or you try to hide what you don't know. And that that's where all this imposter syndrome comes from, right? Because we think we should know everything. We think that everything should be easy. And we went through four years of vet school that we should be able to handle our cases. And, and that is a big thing for us. And I really think that if I could tell newly graduated veterinarians to just ask questions and just be open to being, um, to learning because this career is lifelong learning. Like I still, I have, I see cases almost every day that I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so if I call a specialist or I call a friend or I, you know, it's kind of like that old phone, a friend thing mm-hmm. on the, whatever that game show was, like, you really need to be okay with that and realize that that's, that's what we're all out here doing. We're all learning and growing. And so I, I would say just ask questions and don't be afraid because that's, it's going to save you. And then, you know, and that kind of goes along with coaching and asking people that have been around a while for advice and all of that. Mm-hmm. Just don't, don't beat yourself up. Yeah. This person said, um, I'm going to be graduating soon and I'm anxious about the road ahead and not wanting to make mistakes, but I know everyone faces adversity in some way. Uh, what kinds of struggles did you deal with in your path to becoming a veterinarian and eventually a practice owner? And how did you deal with those things? Oh, wow. That's a big question. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think the first thing to understand is that everybody feels anxiety. Like we're all anxious. And a lot of times we get we get to think that we're the only one and everybody else is handling it because everyone's so good at putting on that face, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know what I'm doing. I'm so cool, but that's not true. We're all a little bit uncertain and anxious on the inside. And Mm -hmm. so I think understanding that that's a normal emotion and it's okay. As Mm -hmm. long as it doesn't cripple you and keep you from moving forward and keep you from doing what you need to do. And so none of us want to make mistakes, but that's what's going to happen. You know, I just, I just did a podcast about this with Dr. Sue Sales. In fact, it's coming out today. And um, just the idea that you can go through life and not make a mistake is, is not a correct idea. 
And so if you can just be okay with that's going to be part of the deal and that things are going to happen and not get too wrapped up in the perfectionism, I Mm -hmm. think that will help. And also, as I said before, asking for help. So you don't make as many mistakes and so that you are open to suggestion and then just try to embrace your own self-confidence to, to know that, you know, a lot of things, you know, we all have this gut instinct. I do this all the time in my own practice. I have a gut that will tell me sometimes if I'm doing the right thing or not, Mm -hmm. I'll be like, Oh, I, I think I need to pull this tooth because my gut's telling me I need to. And then I'll question myself because, well, what if it's wrong? And what if somebody judges me or, you know, you go through all that anxiety and then you're just like, nope, I know this is the right thing to do. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then once you make that decision, being okay with it. Yeah. You know, whether accept it ends the up, consequences, yeah. right. Accept the consequences because most of the time you're going to be right. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, we don't think about all the times we're right. We only worry about when we're wrong. And I re- specifically remember over the years, like cases that I really screwed up. You know, I remember one time I was tube feeding a bird and it regurgitated and aspirated the formula. And it was horrible because I felt so awful about it. You know, the bird got really sick and it was a terrible, terrible thing. And I still remember it, but I've tube fed hundreds and hundreds of birds successfully. And so what we need to remember is that if we cave to the mistakes and we don't just learn from them, then we become stuck. And if we can just be like, all right, if I do 300 bird tube feedings, there's probably going to be one that doesn't go great. And so I just have to embrace that risk and be as careful as I can and push forward because think of all the birds that I can save by tube feeding them without fear. Mm -hmm. So when I go to tube feed a bird, I do have that little anxiety bug going, yeah, remember that one that didn't go so well. You messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that one you screwed up and then be like, nope, I'm not going to listen to that. I know how to do this. I'm going to do it. So I don't know if I answered the whole question. Um, Yeah, I think you did. So they said, what kind of struggles struggles on your path and, and as a practice owner, do you have like any other, um, stories and how oh, did you so do many, so many, <laughs> <laughs> so many. Yeah. Well, I got fired from my first job. Most people know that if they've listened to me for any length of time. And so that was a big lesson to me on how to be humble and not pushy and, you know, respect my elders kind of thing. Cause mm-hmm. I was young and full of myself and I wanted to teach this guy how to be moral and just, um, <laughs> so that was a big lesson. Um, Becoming a practice owner, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. I hired a really stupid lawyer when I first bought my practice. Um, I kept a lot of employees that I shouldn't have kept, should have fired them, you know, made a lot of mistakes there. Um, gosh, so many. And I and when you say how do you deal with them, I think just just understanding that you're a human, you know, like it doesn't mean that I didn't come home and cry. Yeah, like, I was going to say, you probably like had oh a lot of feelings and cried so about it. And- when I first started doing bird medicine, because bird medicine's hard, y'all, it's bad. So, you know, when I first decided I wanted to be a ver- bird vet, so many of my patients would die, you know, for crazy reasons. Like I aspirated a lump on one and it croaked and, you know, it's just all these terrible things. 
And so I would come home crying like, oh my gosh, I'm so terrible. I made this mistake or that mistake, or I didn't know what I was doing or, you know, all of those things. And um, so it doesn't mean that you don't feel bad when something bad happens, like you're going to feel bad. But the trick is processing that and then forgiving yourself, learning the lessons that you need to learn. Like I, when I aspirated a lump on a budgie and it died within the next 15 minutes, I learned a lesson, you know, they can bleed. So you might want to warn the owner before you do that. Or maybe you don't want to aspirate every lump on a bird, you know, like you learn lessons. So the next time it presents, you know, I'm not going to quit bird medicine because that happened. I'm going to learn. And the next time it presents, I'm going to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's really the key is not letting it stop you. Because if you stop, you miss out on all the good. Yeah. Well, and it seems like your mistakes and like, you know, things that you would consider a mistake just ended up making you a better doctor and better practice owner. And yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it's all about is you, you learn the lessons from your mistakes and that's just life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, we all do stupid things. We go out to the bar and we drink too much. <laughs> then the next day you learn your lesson, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the next time you're a little more careful that you don't go out and drink too much. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, that's kind of life is filled with all that. I think we put so much pressure on ourselves because there's lives involved. Mm-hmm. And we think that if something dies or some pet dies because of a mistake that we made, then, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. But I always go back to the people that do like brain surgery on children, you know, or mm-hmm. people that do very, very difficult professions with humans. Mm-hmm. And you know, they make mistakes. They have to. It's the only way they get good at what they're doing. And yeah. so if they didn't deal with that negative emotion of making a mistake, we would never have those people that could operate on your brain. Mm-hmm. We would never have the plastic surgeons. We would never have, you know, and we wouldn't have veterinarians. And that's my fear is that we're going to get so afraid of being wrong and making mistakes is that we won't push forward and do this job and help hundreds of thousands of pets over the course of our careers. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay. So this next one is from Monica. Um, and she says, how would you work to minimize the stress of being quote on call? Oh boy. Yeah, this is a hard one. I'm not as much on call anymore. Although I did have my practice call me today when I was in the middle of the coaching because something was happening at work and they needed help. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when I was on call a lot, when I was younger, The way I dealt with it is by trying not to think about the fact that my phone could go off at any minute. Because if you, if you're constantly focused on what could happen, you won't remain present. So part of that being on call stress is how we're constantly thinking about, oh, my day's going to be ruined because I'm on call. Somebody might call me. I'm going to have to go into work. You know, I, I used to be on call on weekends all the time when you guys were little kids And I was always afraid of being called in because then I'd have to leave you. And so I just had to get to the point where I was like, look, I'm just going to assume this phone's not going to ring this weekend so I can Mm -hmm. just be present where I am. And then if it does ring and I do end up having to go into work, then I'll adjust my schedule or I'll adjust my life. Mm -hmm. And if I do get called in, remember that I don't have to drop everything and run always. 
you know, because right. we think, oh, we're on call. So we just got to drop everything. There are instances where you can say, look, I'm in the middle of something. I'm at a, I'm at my daughter's performance and I, I can come in in an hour. Can you meet me there in an hour? You know, because if it's not a dire bleeding out emergency, most of the things can wait that people think are emergencies. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a mental game. But I really do think the stress comes from the thoughts that something could happen any moment rather than assuming it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's kind of a mind shift. And then, you know, like how many times did I drag you guys into work with me on the weekends? Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Oh yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it wasn't like a horrible thing. You guys thought it was fun. Oh, we're going to go see the kittens until they get to teenagers. (laughs) Then they don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Then they're like, oh, we don't want to go to work. That's lame. Mm -hmm. I think maybe, um, I don't know if this, if this applies, but maybe having the mindset that like I'm on call and I can handle it, like would be a good thought to have. Yeah. Like I'm going to live my life and if I, and I'm on call, but I can do it. Like, I'm not going to be like, Oh God, what's going to happen? You know, what could it be? Right. Part of it's the worry that there's going to be something bad that you can't handle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just like, I've, I've done call before. I know what I'm doing. I'm competent I'm capable you know, yeah. and sometimes even maybe being excited about it, which might be too much of a push, but you know, maybe something cool is going to happen. Yeah. But those are like bridge statements, right? You right. could say like, I can't, I, this, you know, I'm anxious about this, but I can handle it. And then eventually it's just like, I can handle this. I'm good at this. And then right. eventually it's like, this could be cool. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It takes, That's it so. takes a whole lot of time to get from anxiety to thinking it's going to be fun. Right. But like you said, if you just make small adjustments every time you're on call, mm-hmm. you know, and practice those thoughts, mm-hmm. cause you have to, you have to practice your good thoughts a lot to overcome the natural bad thoughts that come from your little oh, yeah. primitive brain, <laughs> you know, like that's what runs all of us. Yeah. And we all have this negative part of our brain that just wants us to be scared all the time and hide in the basement, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where that on-call thing comes from, that stress. It's that fear, fear of, right. you know, that brain trying to protect you from bad stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love that bridge thought. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this is question number 10. Uh, what do you do to combat the negative voices in your head when things seem to be going wrong? Negative patient outcome, negative client interaction, negative coworker interaction. We kind of talked a little bit about that. Yeah, a little bit, kind of what we just said. Um, I think, I think the biggest trick that I can tell you that works for me is when you hear those negative voices just understanding that they're, they're not really real. Like they're just your brain trying to protect you. Mm-hmm. This happens to me a lot when I'm doing dentals. Cause I really do not like dental work. Like I could clean teeth all day, but I just don't like pulling teeth, especially on cats. That's my biggest thing that I hate. I fear that the most. And so when I'm doing a dental and I have a difficult tooth to pull, the first thing my brain wants to say is, oh, this isn't going to go well. You're going to break the tooth. It's going to take forever. You're not patient enough. Like all those thoughts start spinning. And when I do have those negative voices, I'm like, wait a minute. That's all just my brain trying to protect me from this dental. Like it knows I don't like it. It knows I have fear. 
So it's like, oh, if you have all these negative thoughts, you're, you're going to stop. But I, when I have a dog under, I have to proceed, right? I'm the doctor there, you know, unless I can pawn it off on one of my associates, which I have been known to do, but I, <laughs> but I try hard, but it's just understanding that that's just fear talking. It, it really isn't, it's none of it's real. Like I know how to pull teeth. I know how to be patient. And so then deciding on purpose that I'm not going to think those thoughts. I'm, and I say it out loud a lot because I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I'm pretty vocal. I'll be like, oh my gosh, this tooth is going to be really hard to pull, blah, blah, blah. All my, all my negative voices will come out and then I'll hear them and I'll be like, wait a minute. No, you know how to do this. You've mm-hmm. taken classes on how to pull teeth. You know exactly how to do it. You know how to use your drill. You know how to make a flap. Like, you know, all the things. And you just have to get over yourself and do a good job. And when that tooth comes out, it's going to be so fun. And my team always laughs at me because they know I hate it. But if I, if I get a tooth out and I've been very patient, it's taken a long time and it come finally pops out. Like I'll literally dance around and sing the rap theme <laughs> song. I'll be like, dun, 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 dun. But it's because now I get to celebrate my success mm-hmm. and getting over myself and getting yeah. over all those negative thoughts. It's so. Yeah, because I'm like, all right, I got this, you know, you can do this, you know how to do this. You know, you kind of just have to combat all that negativity with a little bit of self cheerleading, mm-hmm. so to speak, you have to give yourself some kudos. Yeah, that the technique. Sense? Yeah, it does. Totally. I think that is, you have to have a voice, you have to make the voice in your head that says like, you're good at this. I love you. I, you got this, you know, like that voice Ah, you're um, louder. Yeah. And then a technique that I've uh, been employing and have employed is if you name that negative voice, like whatever you want to name it, you're like, it's Brenda. And you're like, shut up, Brenda. Yeah. (laughs) Like get out of here. I'm doing my job. Like, shut up. You need to go away. Right. Um, Yeah. yeah. That's a great one. That can help. Yeah. Yeah. Is yours really Brenda? No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to uh, tell yeah <laughs> I'll keep you know, it to myself well you know but, I call it call it my chihuahua brain yeah because, be because like, I shut pick, up little chihuahua I'm doing I picture it right as now. those little you know no offense to chihuahuas but there's some of them that are are so terrified that they just try to bite you and bark at you and so when I started learning about my negative brain I'm like oh it reminds me of a chihuahua because it won't stop it's so scared it's just like <laughs> And so if, if I start thinking all those negative thoughts, I'm like, oh, that's my little chihuahua brain. And then I'm like, oh, it's a little chihuahua. It's just scared. Yeah. You're like, it's you know, okay. It's fine. It's you fine. You can honey. go over here. Yeah. Right. And I'll say that like, it's fine, honey. I know how to pull a tooth. And right. so now let me go over here and prove it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'll even ask my technicians. I'm like, will you help me be patient? Right. You know? And so when I start getting impatient as I'm pulling a tooth, I'll say to Shelly, Shelly, tell me to be patient. And she'll be like, Dr. Capel, you need to be patient. And I'll be like, thank you. <laughs> like we have this whole thing worked out because she knows yeah. I struggle with that. So right. getting it outside yourself and asking other people to hold you accountable will also right. help. Yeah. But I love that. Naming that Chihuahua. Yeah. Yeah. You can, <laughs> you can name it like Mine's his name Sparky or something. Or something. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's exactly. Great. Um, okay. So we have 
Okay, so it's more, more negativity, but how do you prepare for the negativity that is inevitable with a courageous decision you are about to make? For example, uh, quitting your job for better work, life balance, confronting a coworker, doing a surgery you've never done before. Yeah, well, it's kind of the same, right? Mm-hmm. It's all your little fear mind try to protect you from the big bad client that's going to be mean or the boss that you're getting ready to resign your job or what people might say when you quit your job for better work-life balance, like your parents might say something, challenge your decision, your husband might not be happy. Like there's all these negative thoughts that you'll have about this. Mm -hmm. And it really is about just speaking to yourself kindly, understanding where those negative thoughts are coming from. And then deciding on purpose to push forward anyway. Like when I started writing, I was terrified because my mind kept saying, you're not good at this. This is bad. It's terrible. And I kept rereading it and rereading it and rereading it. But I finally had to be like, nope, you're doing this. Just do it. So Mm -hmm. sometimes even though you're continuing to be scared, sometimes just taking an action towards what it is that you're afraid of will help diminish that too. And just Mm -hmm. stepping into the room with the angry client and saying, all right, I'm just going to be calm. I'm just going to listen. And no matter how angry they get, even if I'm feeling, oh my God, on the inside, I'm going to, I'm going to stay calm on the outside and I'm just Mm going to be like super calm. And so it's, it's just that internal kind of internal coaching that Mm -hmm. helps. Yeah. And the same thing with the surgery I've never done before. You know, like you have the skills, you know how to think on your feet, you know, that, that kind of self-talk rather than you've never done this before mm-hmm. kind of talk. I also think that like, um, writing is really helpful in like these negative thought situations and yeah. you can write down like a whole list of like, what are all the things that could go wrong? Just write them all down. And yeah, then worst case scenario thinking sometimes. Yeah. And then you can, yeah, do the worst case scenario and then you can do, you know, your best case scenario. You can write thoughts to confront those mm-hmm. negative thoughts that you had that are like, right. what's a more rational thought to have, Right. you know, yeah, I've done when, this, I've done this before, or I've never done this, but I've studied enough and there's going to be people to help me. So if I make a mistake, I'm going to, I'm not alone, you know, right. like things like that. To right. Help right. Yeah. I talk that. to my clients a lot about doing thought downloads. Because because once you get them out of your head, all those negative thoughts, then you can just look at them and say, are these true? They seem silly sometimes. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. You like, write them down and you're like, this is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why was I what's, thinking that? What's going to happen? Yeah. If, if you go into a room and a client yells at you, what's going to happen? Like worst mm-hmm. case scenario with a client being angry would be violence, right? But that, that's so rare that that's ever going to happen. And if you're really thinking a client's going to be violent, then don't go into the room with them. Call the police, you know, like there's ways around that. Right. But yeah, you're right. Just getting all those thoughts out and then questioning whether they're logical and accurate. Right. And why you're choosing them. Yeah. You can also write down the feelings that are associated with those negative thoughts. And then when you write your like more rational or challenged thought to those, write down how those thoughts make you feel. It's kind of like doing the models, but it's a yes. little bit more like removed um, just to basically challenge what you're going through. So that's a way that you could, you know, work on that. Right. In yeah. A, in a homework if, kind of way. If you have time, like before something, if some, if you're very, very anxious about something that's coming up tomorrow, that would be a really good thing to do tonight. 
is work through all those negative thoughts and feelings and try to challenge them and come up with better ones. And Mm -hmm. how am I going to work? How am I going to work to make this less anxiety provoking kind Mm -hmm. of thing? But it works best if you write it down. Like that's the, no one wants to sit and write those things down. Like I'll tell you, I'm doing cognitive behavioral therapy right now. And it's not fun to sit and write those things down and mull over those things, but it really does work. Right. Like when you actually take the time to do it. So that's my two cents. That's your, (laughs) it's so good. Yeah. I really like this question. So, um, this next one. Do you have tips for leaving work at work mentally so you can focus on home when you are at home? Um, I guess my biggest tip is to just try to separate the two places in your brain. Like who do you want to be at work and who do you want to be at home? The best thing for me was just what people call me at work. They call me Dr. Capel. And when I'm at home, they call me my, by my first name or by mom when my kids were little. And Mm -hmm. so just having that different identity, like when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at home, I'm now the mom. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons when I would go to school functions, I would never tell people I was a vet. I would let them call me Mrs. instead of doctor, Mm -hmm. because it was kind of like, now I'm Mrs. Capel and I'm, I'm at home. Mm -hmm. And I, and it was less about being on all the time. The other thing I've heard people do is actually having like a pile and maybe it's your thoughts or whatever it is, but like leaving that somewhere Mm -hmm. at work rather than hauling stuff home or, you know, or even having a note on your desk off duty, you know, and then you can leave it somewhere. I've had people say that they picture hanging their bag on the tree as they walk outside the door in the parking Mm -hmm. lot and then driving away and just leaving it all there. You know, I, I think, picturing my key in the lock, locking the door. Now I'm not, now I'm not there anymore. Right. And I'm not, I'm going to try not to think about it. Not that my brain's not going to want me to think about it, but I'm going to try not to. So is that something that is, cause I know like in a lot of professions, like, especially if you're work from home, like it's really hard to separate those two things. Yeah. Um, is it like that in veterinary medicine or like well, when, when you leave work, can you be done with it? Well, it is, it is if you're on call because that phone is connecting you. If the neighbors come over and ask you questions about their pet, you know, you're still on duty. Um, mm-hmm. all of those things. And also, um, with the computer and being able to write up records at home, mm-hmm. you know, like I have to try really hard not to get on the computer at home because, if I leave records unwritten at work and I need to leave, I have to just be like, these will wait until I'm back at work and not, right. not going to the computer. They'll still be there. And it's not productive to my mental health to worry about them at home. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I need to take care of what I need to take care of at home. So yeah. it sounds like um, boundary, like having good boundaries. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries is kind of a whole different conversation, but yeah, it is. It's just, it's creating some kind of visual, you know, Mm -hmm. for yourself, whether it's locking the door, driving out of the parking lot, getting into the car, you know, not doing work stuff at home and not doing home stuff at work. Cause the the opposite is true, right? Especially if you're a busy mom, you're at work Mm -hmm. worrying about everything that's going on with your kids. And then you get home and you're worrying about work and then you're never present. 
You know, right. it's, it's being present for where you are. I think that's really the way I like to think about it. If I feel my brain drifting back to work, I'm like, nope, what's going on here? What do you mm-hmm. want here? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah, definitely. Um, the next question is, is along the same line. So basically just um, creating a, creating a boundary between like work and home life just being like, I'm, I'm done now. And now I'm at home. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically the next question. And if you have to use the name thing, like for me, it was all about the name. Mm -hmm. Are you doctor somebody or are you your first name or your mom or whatever? Right. You know, are you the spouse or the daughter? Who are you in that moment? Right. Right. Um, so this next one is, uh, do you have a mantra or a quote that you use to keep yourself motivated on a bad day oh, from boy. anonymous? Yeah. I, I mean, I have a couple for sure. Um, everybody knows that I'm a Rocky fan. And so I, I think when I feel like giving up, I always go back to Rocky and that's why, like I dance around with my arms in the air when something goes well, yeah. um, But there's a quote from the Rocky movie that says every champion was once a contender who refused to give up. And so Mm -hmm. something about that inspires me not to give up no matter what. And I think in veterinary medicine, like we have such a really important job that we are champions. And so in order to be a champion at this job, you have to never give up no matter Mm -hmm. what. So if I think of Rocky getting punched in the face and being all, you know, beat up, that's kind of what vet med does to us. But if we can get back up and keep fighting, then it's all about that. So that's one of my favorites. Another one is one that I came up with in coaching. And this one helps me. I have it hanging here somewhere. Yeah, right here. Um, Because I struggle with focus. And so I came up with, um, I have proven that I am focused. I will do what I say I will do. And so when I start to feel really unfocused, I have to think that is that I I've proven that I can focus. So let's, let me, let me show you, like, let me do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Yeah. And then, I mean, I'm a Christian, so I always go back to the Bible. Like I can do all things through Christ. So that, that one, when I'm really, really struggling, if it's something super hard, I'm like, all right, I can do this because God's in my corner kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So I really think um, somebody challenged me to do a podcast on mantras and quotes. So I'm going to do that. That would be good. Yeah. I'm going to come up with a like how to, yeah. How to develop that for whatever you're going through too. Yeah. Yeah. I found that that was something that's hard for me is to find something that doesn't feel like a lie. Yeah. You know? Well, cause that's but, your, your brain telling you it's a lie, right? Yeah. So it's hard to find something. I mean, that's where the bridge statements can come in, but to, like that, like I am enough right now in this moment, right? Or like I am okay. Right. You know, yeah, those things safe. Are, right. I am safe. I am fine. Yeah. Right. I'm loved. I like, I am loved mm-hmm. or you are loved. You know, I like saying that to people because it, that's true. Like no matter what you're loved. And so if you can embrace that, then you can do anything. Mm-hmm. So I like that one. So yeah, you can help me on that podcast. We'll do that one. Yeah. <laughs> the mantras. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shall we do a couple more? I mean, we're kind I don't of know how long we've been going. Are we going to be boring to people? <laughs> I don't think so. I think we're doing good. All right. Let's um, keep going yeah, a let's keep going. Bit longer. It's getting really warm in my office. So 
starting okay. to starting to sweat the so little cute. fan. Yeah, I do have a fan, but it's noisy. So I'll just sweat. Some okay. people don't mind. <laughs> um, okay, so questions about being a mom and a working vet med. How do you balance the jobs and the kids and how do you deal with the guilt? And that's from Deanna. Oh, yeah, Deanna. <laughs> I, think, I think you deal with the guilt by accepting it, that it's going to be there. Like, because we all think that there's this per- perfect version of mom, right? That moms are supposed to do it all right. They're never supposed to miss uh, an event. They're never supposed to forget about filling out paperwork for their kids' field trip. They're never supposed to not make lunches. Like we all have this story about what the perfect mom is supposed to be. And so that's where that guilt comes from. It comes from that brain of ours telling us we should be a certain way. And I know me as a working mom, when you and your brother were young, I had that guilt. Like I, I felt it, but I also knew deep down in my soul that if I stayed home all the time, that I would have been a terrible human. Like that wasn't the way I was wired. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to be like authentic and know how you are best and then bring your best self to both of those things. Like I loved working and I knew that if I came home from work, I would be a way better mom than if I was with my kids all day. Like mm-hmm. I knew that I would probably be climbing the walls at the end of the day. <laughs> and so, so the balance, I think, I don't know that it's necessarily balance. I think it's more, you know, you're, you're present when you're with your kids and you're present when you're at work. And on some level, you understand that there's goodness that's coming out of being a working mom for your children. Like I challenged mm-hmm. one of my clients. I'm like, what's good about a working mom? Like, why would it yeah. be good to have a working mom? Cause I had a mom that stayed home till I was like in sixth grade. And then she went to work and there was good things when she, she was home, but seeing her work and juggle taught me that that was possible. And mm-hmm. also that I could do more than, you know, I thought I could do. And like, there's so many lessons that come from having a mother that actually runs a business or is a good leader or is confident, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I think accepting that there will be guilt, but then understanding that it's going to go either way. Like if you were a stay-at-home mom, you'd feel guilty about something. Like you'd make up something to feel guilty about. Right. And that, you know, your kids going to be there. Well, and your kids are going to be okay. They're going to be stronger sometimes when they have a working mom. They're going to be more outgoing. They're going to be more confident. Um, You know, so the balancing mostly comes from just the trying to be present and the things that you really want to be present for and allowing your kids to know that you're there for them and that they're the priority, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Did I answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. That really works. Um. Okay. So how do you work with management to get the schedule that you want when they want you to do more work or to work more? (laughs) I think is how that was. Oh, and this is really hard, right? Because there's two sides to this. Your management wants to make money and that's where they're focused and you want to work less, right? So there, there is a balance to it. And so I think that that goes a lot towards conflict management And also understanding the other person's perspective, because, you know, 
you want to work less, you want an easier schedule, but they also have to meet their bottom line. So how can we compromise on that? Can I work a half day, but then work harder during that half day? Can I see a few more clients? Can I do some drop-offs? Like, what can I do to balance the money with the schedule? And so I really think conflict resolution is a lot about compromising and understanding the other person's point of view. And yeah. what do you, but what do you think about like, I don't know, it sounds like they're talking about how would you, you know, advocate for yourself, you know, in that well, situation as well. I think one thing is, is first of all, knowing exactly what you want, like what is it that you can offer and what can't you offer? And then having the confidence to say that and be okay with the fallout, you know, like you could get fired, you could get let go, but if you're confident about your boundaries, then you're going to set those, but in a kind way, it's like, look, this is what I, this is all I can do. I'm overwhelmed. This is, this is what I want. I want 20 hours a week or whatever, and trying to be reasonable with them and in asking them for what you want and being confident. I think is the first step. And then, and then try to be open to listening to what their um, objections might be mm-hmm. and why, you know, maybe they need another doctor to cover your hours. Maybe you can help with that. You know, maybe you can help them hire another doctor. You know, there, there's some, there's gotta be some give and take, I think, but you mm-hmm. also have to be very confident in what you're asking for and why you have to have a really good why. Right. in order to stay confident. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay. So how do you deal with a manager that dismisses your requests for a better schedule or time off? Well, the only way to deal with them is directly mm-hmm. and setting that boundary. And if they're dismissing you, there's got to be a reason. So you either directly ask them, why do you keep dismissing me? Like, why aren't you, why can't I have this day off? That's unreasonable. And you may have to quit. Like it, it push may come to shove, or you may have to go over them. If there's somebody over them that you can talk to, you know, or with them. I like when I have a conflict with somebody, I like to make it like a team thing. So if you and the manager are having a disagreement, maybe there's somebody else on the team, the management team that could come in and help. Mm-hmm. you come to some kind of reasonable compromise. But there are some cir- circumstances when you're just not going to agree. Mm-hmm. And then like you might have to quit your job if there's right. no no time off. I mean, you have to have time off. Would it be reasonable to, you know, approach a manager and say, I feel like I've, you know, I feel like I brought this to your attention and I feel like I'm being reasonable but I also feel like I'm being dismissed and not listened to. Is there any way we can, yeah, you know, yeah. talk about this? Because I, I would like to feel like I'm being heard here. Yeah, you know? I think most people feel dismissed because they don't want they don't want to deal with the conflict. So they'll say, can I have a day off? And the manager will say, oh, no, we don't have any coverage. And then they'll be they'll feel dismissed rather than be like, wait, we need to sit down and talk about this because I'm really I really need this day off. Mm-hmm. So we need to talk. Let's sit down and talk. And I think so many times we don't want that confrontation. So we just, we let people dismiss us rather than forcing the issue. Mm-hmm. I've, had, I've had this when I've dealt with employees before. Like I'll say, I need you to get to work on time. 
you need to get to work on time. And then a week later, they're coming to work late again. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. Now we're having a meeting. Now, I told you last week you had to get to work on time. Why are you not doing that? You know, and then get their reasoning. Okay, but this is important. So I'm telling you that you either have to get at work on time or you're going to lose your job. You know, so there has to be that confrontation. And I think the same works for the opposite. Like Mm -hmm. I needed, I need a day off. And they say, well, I can't get you this day off. Well, when can you get me the day off? And why can't you get it? And how are we going to do this? You know, and how can we work together to make this happen? So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to being okay with the conflict and the the discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the way you presented it is great. Um, so (laughs) this is probably a great one for everybody. I'm sure everyone will be like, yes. Uh, what do you do when a neighbor or coworker contacts you on your day off for veterinary advice? (laughs) All (laughs) All the vets are going answer this one. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? This happens to me all the time. It just happened to me the other day because my neighbor is also a client and she asked me to bring her medicine home from work. So I do it. So this is, this is what I do. If someone contacts me, I make a decision. Do I want to deal with this or don't I? Because the drama is in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. So I had this happen. I wrote a blog about it. My technician texted me on a Sunday. My turtle's sick. He needs to, you know, be seen. But she didn't want to take him to the emergency clinic. So she contacted me on my day off. Mm -hmm. So my first response is, oh my gosh, how can she do this? Blah, 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 blah. You know, you go, you go through all the drama. But that's not useful, right? I just have to make a decision. Am I going to do it or am I not? And then I have to be okay with that decision. So sometimes I choose to do it and deal with the fallout of my own drama. And sometimes I choose to say no and also deal with the fallout of the guilt and the drama, right? There's going to be drama Mm -hmm. on both sides. So I think really what it comes down to is you either need to make a choice. I'm not going to engage with this person. And I'm just going to say no and then let it go no matter what they do. You know, if they make a big deal on social media, whatever, or I'm going to say yes, but then I'm going to shut off my own drama. And with this turtle situation, I wrote a blog about it because this is what I did. I went through all the drama and then I was like, well, of course she's going to text me. She doesn't want to spend all the money at that. She knows I can come in there, blah, 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 the whole thing. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to choose to help her. I'm going to set a boundary and say, I I will be there in two hours because I'm in the middle of something. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm choosing when I'm going to do it. If you don't like that, you can go to the emergency clinic and then I'm going to, I'm just going to go and do it and let go of the drama Mm -hmm. because otherwise then I'm like feeling like she's putting it on me and you know, you feel like a victim. And so I think you kind of have to let go of the victimhood. You know, I had it happen the other day. Somebody texted me that they wanted me to help them with their dog and they're not a great neighbor or a great client. And so I just texted them back. I'm sorry, I'm unavailable today. You can go to your, you know, there's a veterinary clinic right on the corner. They're open. You can go there. Right. But then don't engage in the drama of feeling guilty about putting them off. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it seems like make a decision and own it. Right. Right. Because what we do is we feel obligated to help and then we help, but then we like hate it the whole time we're helping. Right. This isn't fair. I'm supposed to be off. Today's my day off and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, 
no, you and know you're what? people pleasing. In a right, way. right. Rather than being like, hey, she's in trouble. I can save her. And being, yeah. that's a cool thing. Like I get or to being out. like, I, I'm not doing this today and I'm really sorry, but I, right. I don't have time to do it. Yeah. Right. Yep. I want to be with my kids or I want to be with my family yep. or you don't need an excuse. It's just like, no, like it's no, or it's yes. Not today. Yeah. And anything in between is drama. Right. 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 Yeah. I love that. It's really good. Um, okay. So we have just a couple more. Okay. Um, I'm having a hard time with general practice. A lot of the vet med hospitals are very toxic. So I left and I went to a mobile vet. Uh, I went to mobile vet research work. How do you feel about the toxicity in veterinary medicine? And I believe this one is uh, from Instagram. I think that was from Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we talked about it, but. Uh, I think you, you did answer it, but it's a, it's a good one. Cause I think it's a uh, trendy in the online veterinary. Yeah. Sphere. I Yes, I have a little bit of a uh, beef with that word toxic because I think it can mean so many things. Yeah. It can mean that your manager's mean or that your clients are mean. It can mean that you're working too much. Like there's so many things that it can mean. And so I, I think that that's kind of a buzzword. And so, yeah. but I understand I, what they're saying. General yeah. practice right now is hard. ER practice is hard. Specialty practice is hard. Like it's all hard because we're shorthanded, short-staffed, there's too many clients, too much work. Like that's all part of practice right now. Yeah. I and think they're so, talking about like socially too, like toxicity among the, the other. Employees. Usually that's what that means. Is yeah. Like, like drama but, and yeah. gossip and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, if we're talking about that part of it, that toxicity, I really think the best way to do that is head on is be like, like, this is a toxic practice. I'm going to be the one that helps and change it. So I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to call people out when they gossip. I'm going to go to leadership and have the discussion and say, look, this is all that's going on here and it feels toxic. What can we do to fix it? Mm -hmm. um, I really think being proactive and trying to fix a practice is a great first step. And then if you have a management team that doesn't want to change, like with my first practice, then you either need to quit or get fired like I did. <laughs> so yeah. you can move away from it. But I really, I think that there are practices out there that don't have that. There are managers and leaders that want to change it. And sometimes it's just one person in the practice that's creating all the drama and toxicity. And so if mm -hmm. you can get the team to work together to squash it and change that, um, culture, I guess I would call it change that toxic culture, then you can change a lot of these practices. My practice has been really great and really toxic over all these years. Like I've had waves and a lot of times it's, it's about one person that's not fitting in, or it's about somebody that's being mean behind my back and I don't know about it. So I really do think that addressing it is, is the key is being right. like, all right, we're going to change this. And then if you can't, if you've tried and it's just not possible, then I think leaving that hospital, but going to one that has a better culture or one that you fit into better mm -hmm. is all about it. But just remember that you can think about it as toxic and it'll become toxic. That's all you'll see. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's all about the way you're looking at it. And in, in a lot of instances, it might just be one gossipy person. And if you can just be like, hey, she's just a gossip. 
then yeah. it's and no longer toxic. Yeah, yeah, then it's no longer toxic. It's just one person that's a gossip. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to feel that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think a lot of the toxicity, so it, a lot of it is just people want to live in that, like, well, this is toxic and there's nothing I can do. And I think it's really hard. Um, I think people are less likely to be leaders today and step out because yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with social media because it's so scary. You can yeah. have like thousands of people attack you at once. So yeah. even in that kind of environment, it's hard yeah. to be like, Hey, I'm not going to participate in this because you hear the, the, yeah, you don't want to be the one person that stands out. But I think if more people did that, then it it could change things. Yeah, absolutely. Or if if it's gossipy, just don't, you know, just refuse to listen, you know, like, I don't want to participate in this or, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes ask people, well, what, what is a good solution? Mm -hmm. You know, especially when they're complaining about another team member. Oh, do you have a great solution for this? well, no, I don't. They just want to complain. So you're like, well, if there's no solution, then let's move on, you know, let's move forward. Right. So, yeah, I agree Mm -hmm. with you. It's hard to, it's hard to confront, but I really do think it's useful. And I think it it can change a lot if we, if we kind of work together. Right. Right. Okay. So this is the last one. Um, It's so hard for me to to decide what I want. How can I make um, decision making easier for myself and stop limiting myself. Hmm. Well, my first gut reaction is to say, make a decision. (laughs) (laughs) Just pick it, you know, pick something because I really, I do think that that's getting buried in your, in your negative brain, right? Cause you're afraid, like what's going to happen. Like Mm -hmm. for me, what's going to happen if I write and I put a blog out onto the internet, somebody might tell me I suck you know, so you, then you don't do it. Mm-hmm. So what's the fear of the decision? Like why, what's the decision? Number one, what's the fear wrapped around it? And like we talked about before, what's worst case scenario, mm-hmm. you know, somebody might tell me I suck at writing. Right. That's not going to well, kill me. I think you talked about this on Instagram too, but about how we can indulge in indecision. Yes. Like somehow it feels kind of good to like it feels bad, but it feels good to just be like, well, this one is this and this one is this, and then just go back and forth forever and not pick something. Well, and it not only indulging in it, but also it's safe, right? Mm-hmm. Like if the decision is I'm going to keep this job or go to this job, or I'm going to, I don't know, what's a good, what's a good decision that doesn't mean a whole bunch that you like to indulge in. I'm going to watch this show or this show. You know, mm-hmm. but it's easier to just be like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. You know, it's it's a good excuse for staying put rather than pushing right. forward. And right. it's kind of an indulgence in a way, the mm-hmm. indecision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you it's hard for you to decide, you know, why it's hard is because you've got all these pros and cons, but you haven't really thought it through. And then you're you're risk adverse right? You don't want to take a chance. Right. And so sometimes I'm like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? What's the very worst thing? Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm going to draw blood on this bird. What's the very worst thing? Well, the very worst thing would be that it died. So can I live with that? Yep. I have before I've lived, I've lived with some dead <laughs> birds before, so I guess I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then what's the best thing that can happen? I can get the results that I need. I can help this, you know, 
So I think, I think it's kind of going through the thoughts of what's causing the indecision. And then sometimes it's just taking a baby step. Yeah. That helps me a lot when I'm struggling with something. I'm just like, well, I'm just going to do this one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you can always change course. Decisions aren't permanent usually. Right. I always like, I don't know what, what sometimes can get to me is if I'm just like, like time, I, I don't have time forever you know? So like time's ticking yep. and I could sit here and do this, but I'm still like getting older and still like, you know, so I might as well like choose something, you right. know, right now. Choose something, go forward. And then you can always choose something else, right? Yeah. Yep. You can always go back and, and re-choose. And I mm-hmm. think if you, that last part of the sentence, stop limiting yourself. Think of indecision as, a, as you are limiting your growth. You're keeping yourself from, from experiencing all the cool things that could happen. You know, like how many cool things happen if you step out of your comfort zone? Right. That's what I try to think of. Like what, what good could come of this decision? Yeah. Yeah. Focus on the exciting things. Right. Yeah. How fun. Like when you go for an audition, what could happen? Oh, I could get this part and I could, you know, like that's the place to focus. Not somebody could tell me I'm terrible, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's a really good note to end on. All right. So take some chances, make some decisions, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. And if you need to talk some of this stuff through, please reach out. I'd love to talk to you. If Mm -hmm. you, if you want to talk to Bridget, she's out there too on her website, bridgetcapel.com. Yeah. (laughs) You want to learn how to sing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know what? And singing is very confidence building. Don't you think? I think, I think learning any new skill is confidence building something brand new. I, they, there's a therapy podcast that I listen to where she talks about, like, if you have trouble with self-esteem or confidence, like learn a new skill because, and have, and have something tangible, like, you know, that comes of it. Like singing. Yeah. It could be singing. Yeah. You get better at that and sound better. And you feel when I go to tap or yeah. Yeah. Learn a tap dance. Yeah, it absolutely does. So, well, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really, really appreciate it. And Bridget does all my website work and my Instagram and she is amazing at all the things. So if you (laughs) like what you're seeing on Instagram, thank Bridget. Don't thank me. I write the stuff. She makes it look pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you to everyone who sent in questions slash ask questions. On yeah, yeah. All that stuff. And we'll do this again if we get more. If this mm-hmm. sparked any new questions, send them to me and we'll compile them for a while and do this again. Thanks for helping yeah. me with this. I, it would have been course, so fun yeah. me it's doing really this cool. by myself and you could keep me on track and all that. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> all right. Everybody out there, have a good week and we'll see you later. Bye, Bridget. Bye.